Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is the man who, according to his girlfriend, he has lips like sugar with his sugar kisses. Here's my co-host from the left coast, Wayne Fugate. A whole lot, Ben, I mean. For this episode, we have a special guest. He's the front man of the band that Spotify says is my most listened to band. Their most recent record is called Never Not Together, and a signed copy of that record now hangs in my home office. Please welcome to the podcast from Not A Surf, Matthew Cos. Hey, guys. Um, hey, man, uh, Ben, thank you for listening to us to that degree. That's very, very kind. Much appreciated. Absolutely. We actually did an episode called The Essential Not A Surf what about a year ago wayne yeah maybe longer yeah it might have been over a year ago it was my attempt to introduce wayne to not a surf since he wasn't terribly familiar with the band and we were about ready to have ira elliott the drummer of not a surf on for an episode so i gave wayne a little education oh that's awesome and and uh, wayne thank you for your open-mindedness and being willing to Sit through a lot of songs you don't know, so that's much. No, it was good. I I, I came away with a, a an appreciation. Cool, man. All right. Well, this is exciting. I'm psyched about this. All right. Well, the premise of our podcast is fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do at the beginning of each episode, I ask the all important question. So let's start with Wayne. Wayne, what T-shirt are you wearing? I got this from my oldest daughter. Oh, probably. Five or six years ago, it's a black T-shirt and white block letters. It says, Donnie Darko makes no sense. Okay, perfect, because it doesn't make much sense. Matthew, how about you? What T-shirt are you wearing? I'm wearing a T-shirt. It's dark gray, Okay, and it has a, sort of half of a photograph of the moon on it. Well, I'm sorry, a photograph of the moon, and, and you see half of the moon because it was that time of year. And then to the upper right up and to the right from the moon, there's a big white two. And this is a shirt uh, for a band called Moon Duo. And um, I just yeah. love, I mean, I love them. They're great, sort of kind of psychedelic drone rock uh, from San Francisco duo. But um, just the fact that Moon Duo's shirt is the moon and a two is is just so great and perfect. So it's my favorite t-shirt. I'm not familiar with them. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to check them out. Yeah, check them out. So I'm wearing, and this is because I asked Ira if it was okay if I wore a T-shirt of the band that I'm podcasting about, and he said it was okay. So I'm wearing my 15th anniversary <laughs> Let Go, Not a Surf T-shirt. Rad! This is great. All right. There we go. Hopefully, I have all the fanboy stuff out of the way. I can. I can totally get super psyched <laughs> and get all fanboy about the guests that we have on the podcast. And I think that I have it all out of the way. Right. Well, <laughs> so I've been asking all of our recent guests how they're doing during the pandemic, if they're keeping busy creatively and uh, knowing you with all the, the various side projects that you have going on. I'm assuming that you're finding ways to keep busy, correct? Yeah. I mean, I, I really dug into family time for about the first month I was home, but but recently I've been getting back into it and um, I've been doing little things for the band. Like we did a, a Fountains of Wayne cover for a benefit record um, that will commemorate Adam Schlesinger from the Fountains of Wayne, who very sadly passed away. Um, I've been doing a little... Um, 
you know, other little, just little benefit shows, like little three song streams and stuff. But, um, I'm, I'm, um, I think I'm avoiding the real question. No, I haven't been very creative, but I, I've been playing a lot of guitar lately. So it, something's bubbling up, I think. There you go. There you go. Uh, what, what song from Fountains of Wayne did you guys end up doing? Uh, we did Sick Day off the first record. Okay. I, I really love that song. And what was great was that Chris Shaw, who made um, The Stars Are Indifferent to Astronomy for us and has mixed other songs on other records, um, like Always Love and Cold Sea Clear, he uh, he mixed that first Fountains of Wayne record and he, and he mixed our cover. So that was nice full circle. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. So, so uh, one of the things that has given me a way to recharge my batteries during this crazy time is uh, – going to the tim's twitter listening party oh yeah yeah so great you just you just you just did one for the weight as a weight as a gift you you, uh you taken part in any of the other listening parties well um i'm just started to now i mean even just the night that uh that i did the weight as a gift afterwards there was lamb chop nixon and calexico feast of wire and that was really thrilling um it's just really fun to listen to whole records, you know, which is not something I do all that often, um, <laughs> at least not sitting in one place. Um, right. But it's great. So, no, I've, I've got my eye on the on the schedule. I'll be checking some more out. Yeah. I uh, I just did the Duran Duran Rio one. Oh, yeah. How was uh, that? Lloyd Coles. It was great. That's Simon, awesome. Simon Le Bon is great. Um, and then I did the Lloyd Cole, Don't Get Weird on Me, Babe. Right. So good. A couple. Oh. Lloyd is just, he's such an open book. I, I love it. Yeah. Um, and then let's see, I, I, I did new orders, low life. Uh, we had Jonas police woman on a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And so she, she did real life. And so I, uh, I got more familiar with Joan because of that. Wayne, you, uh, you partaken of any of the listening parties yet? No, I have not. This is, uh, this is news to me. I'm surprised you didn't loop me in earlier. It's cool. Yeah, he does. It's the singer of the Charlatans, and he does like three records a night where somebody from the band will uh, tweet in real time and everybody listens at once. It's a really cool communal separated experience. Yeah, and he's he created a website where you can you can essentially listen to the record and it will give you all the tweets in real time while you're listening to it. So it's really cool. Yeah. I did the um, Unknown Pleasures Joy Division one, and that that was really good too. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I didn't yeah. I didn't do that one. Yeah. Uh, all right, so if there's a listening party for your other records, uh, what would be the one tweet that you'd write in one of your tweets where people would go, "Whoa, I didn't know that. That's cool." How about for the uh, live album that you did with the orchestra, the Peaceful Ghosts? Right. Oh my God. Well, that was just. That was just a you know really wild experience, especially the experience of playing with an orchestra because um, I hadn't realized that that time in the class in the orchestral world is not what you think it is. So when the conductor is counting time, he's not actually on the beat; he's ahead of right. it, and he's basically telling you, "Don't go past this." Uh, because there's so many people that it's like steering a you know a an oil tanker rather than a car 
Right. So he's got to be kind of ahead of it because, you know, like if he wants the, if he wants them all to stop, they're not all going to stop at the same time. I have a a drummer friend, speaking of Joan as police woman, Parker Kindred, who's been a, who was a neighbor of mine for a long time. Um, he played half the drums on minor Alps, the record I did with Julian Hatfield. Yeah. And he yeah. did something I'd never, I mean, he's an incredible drummer. Um, he did something I've never seen before, which is we were doing a song called, um, uh, I don't know what to do with my hands. It was the first song we did together and um, we did it to a click and he was playing way behind the click. And I was really confused and, you know, we had to start over a couple of times because I was playing on the click because I didn't know what else to do. And then we stopped because I'm like, well, wait, I'm not playing with you. How is this working? And he said, no, no, I play behind it. I just use it again, like I was just saying about uh, um, yeah. the conductor of a symphony of an orchestra. He he used it. He used the click as a speed limit, um, but he played behind it. So he had the option of speeding up if he wanted to, because if you're playing on a click and you speed up, then you're in big trouble because you have to slow down and you know, slowing down can sound good in a song, but in general, you know, if there is a cardinal rule, it's don't do it. You just don't slow rock songs down. And a lot of people, a lot of engineers, you know, you'll, you'll make a, a, a tempo map of a song and, and have the click go up one at the first chorus and then go up again at the second verse, et cetera. Um, you know, a lot of great rock songs, um, speed up. It, yeah. It's a good feeling. Anyway, yeah. So, uh, great drummer. Very good. Very good. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, so, in my research for this episode, I uh, I did find out that your father recently passed away. So, my yes. my condolences to to you and your family. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I lo- I lost my dad in August of last year, and I feel like we're still trying to kind of recoup from from that loss. Yeah, that's what um, friends of mine who've lost their parents have said. That's what it's what it's, and that it seems to be true so far. It's been over a month, and and um, I'm still getting used to new feelings. But thank you, yeah. thank you very much. Yeah, I uh, I listened to the uh, the Book of Hylas Meditations record. Oh, wonderful! That, uh, that that came out what I guess last end of last year. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank uh, you for listening to that. Thank you. Yeah. So how, how did that whole thing come, come to fruition? Well, it's because um, he sent that text to me maybe 25 years ago. And uh, I must have read it at the time, but I don't remember much about it. I don't remember much about reading it. Um, both my parents are, are writers. Um, so... You know, I don't. I don't always have the focus to read what they're doing. You know, um, even though I want to, and and then sometimes because that's what they do, it, it's it's almost like a little pressure to read something because you want to really appreciate your parents. But sometimes I don't. Uh, I haven't always understood what they've been talking about. They both. They're both philosophers, right? Uh, yeah, but well, my mom's like a art critic and comparative literature uh, yeah. person. Um, yeah, so it can be some heady stuff, you know, and I'm I'm not always. I'm not always catching it all, but anyway, um, sorry, I'm glad you can edit some of this out and tighten up my thinking. Um, but then a, f- a few years ago, I found this text that he'd sent me because I was cleaning up the house and, you know, looked in an old cardboard box and found it. And all of a sudden it just 
knocked me sideways. I thought it was so beautiful and powerful and helpful um, and insightful. And if you're listening to this and you don't know, it's it's called the Book of Hylas. And um, Hylas is a uh, character in mythology, but he just sort of borrowed the name to invent a new person. And so he, he wrote these meditations uh, that's sort of the length of sonnets, maybe, um, from the point of view of this person. And they sort of read like religious texts, but with no religion. You know how every religious text has a kind of design for living in it, but then invariably religious texts get get into some muddy water when when they reveal that you know only some people are going to heaven, et cetera, stuff like that, um, <laughs> right, or whatever. You know, it, it's, something always goes wrong. But but I really love this text, and um, I went on a solo tour shortly after that and brought it with me, and ask the audience if they wouldn't mind if I read this thing, because I sort of thought it would become a not a surf song. Um, so I did. And every, every night, uh, a number of people would come up to me after and say how moved they were by this text. And it was originally four meditations. And at the end of this tour, I came home and called my dad and told him, and he was so pleased. And he said, should I write more? And I said, sure. And so he wrote four more, uh, the next week. And so then it was eight. And I don't know. I just thought it was so good that I thought it should come out. And also I wanted to honor my dad. You know, he's, he, he was a wonderful parent in in a million ways. And I wanted to give something back maybe. Um, and I'd met these, these musicians called the, called Parkington sisters who are three, three musicians. So there's actually, they actually sisters. They're actually sisters. And there's a fourth okay. who doesn't, um, always tour with them, but they make records as Parkington sisters. And, uh, I toured with them on a little songwriter tour called alone and together. That was really great. Um, with, uh, Ryan from Guster, uh, John Roderick from the long winters. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. When and, was that? And, oh, and Eric from the fruit bats. Um, that was about, I don't know, seven years ago, Eric Johnson from the fruit bats. Um, that would have been and they, they were really good. And then maybe a few months later, they'd said, if you ever want us to play on something, please send it to us. And I, I sent them like a little sort of kitchen table recording of a, a song I just made up. And they put these beautiful strings on it that were really meditative. And so um, we tried to make a Not A Surf song out of it and it didn't work out. Um, so in the end, uh, in fact, it might have been a Daniel or bass player's idea to use my dad's voice. I'm not sure. Um, yeah. And so they recorded his voice and uh, wrote music behind it. And, and then Barsuk put it out as a book that has a, a 10 inch um, EP in it. Anyway, the book, the book of com. if you go there, you can find it. And there's a video, kind of a lyric video of it. And I'm in, in the process of making another one, a sort of more filmic video for it. Cause I, I, I still think it could, I don't know. I think it's a useful piece of, text and i'd love for more to hear it yeah it's it's great i've i've listened to it a couple times uh one of the things that i do to to kind of just get into my day as i go for a morning walk yeah listen to those meditations a couple different times walking around the uh, the local pond so it's good good stuff i'm so glad yeah all right well let's uh let's let's loosen this up a little bit yeah (laughs) 
took us down a very dramatic uh, route. So uh, let's talk about the new record, Never Not Together. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, you did get to play some of the stuff live. So the song, uh, Something I Should Do, uh, are you... uh, are you able to recite all of those lyrics or are you printing lyrics out and then being able to, to, to go through that uh, while you're singing? It? I, I printed them out and I have them on a music stand. Um, I tried very, very hard to be able to perform it without. Um, I know those words by heart, but I, but it's just too fast. And after yeah. um, 25 years of singing popular live, um, that's about the speed limit I've got of being able to talk and not think about what I'm saying. Cause you kind of, when it's that fast, you kind of have to go on muscle memory because if you really think about what you're saying, uh, you might trip up, you know, you got to kind of get mechanical, but with, with the words on a, on a music stand, it's great because I can think about them. I can, I can experience the words as I'm saying them and really enjoy the moment because I'm not afraid of, uh, of wiping out. Um, right. I mean, I have a, you know, I love hip hop anyway, but man, do I have respect for, for the technical aspect of it. It's just unbelievable that like a right. good, a good rapper can, can be fast and clear and concise and, um, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a wordy genre, of course. I, I look at it this way. If Michael Stipe has the lyrics for It's the End of the World as we know it out while when he sings it, anyone should be able to, <laughs> to print out their own lyrics and, and use that. So. Man, you know, and someone told me that and I took great comfort from it. <laughs> it made yeah. me feel much yeah. better. So one of the lines in there is, uh, uh, I was asked to write a song about social media. I didn't want to anyway, I'm, I'm pretty hooked. And, you know, you kind of go down this, this, uh, uh, diatribe about social media. (laughs) So if you weren't in music where you kind of have to have social media as a way to get your music to the masses, would you be on social media right now? Yeah, I think I would. I think I would. I mean, I enjoy, 
I enjoy doing what, how do I, how to put this? Um, I enjoy joining the human river. I used that term in a song too. It's in rushing. Uh, the human river is kind of like what I imagine, what I think of, like all these millions of people going in the same direction. And if I can be part of that um, sincerely, then I really enjoy it. I very often don't feel like part of the human river because I feel different. Um, yeah. You know, uh, I'm not a very aggressive person and there are a lot of aggressive people in the world. So I feel, I feel separate from them. Um, I don't like, uh, I don't always like the top 10 on the radio and I don't listen to top 10, top 40 radio very much. But when there is a song that's a huge hit that I do like, I'm thrilled because then I'm like, I'm with the people, you know, I'm, I'm with, I'm, <laughs> I'm with the planet. It feels really great. And so when I've had big life experiences, you know, like, like, you know, like the really big one, getting married, having a child, you know, or I don't know, going to, you know, or just graduating from high school, any of that stuff, you know, it just feels good. Um, I've completely forgotten why I'm talking about that. Oh, would I be on social media if I wasn't in a band? Yes, I would. Yes. Yeah. Because okay. there's a lot that's really interesting about it. Yes. And and you want to be connected. And and especially and I think we 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 were chatting about this before we started recording of, you know, you've been in England for the last ten years, but yet, you know, you're still paying attention to what's happening in the US with all of our screwed up stuff that's going on recently. That's right. I was saying I basically read American news. I heart, I, I, I sort of check in on the British news a little bit. But, you know, yeah. social media, it's just like, you know, would I be watching TV? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of modern. It's kind of like this age's television in a way. I mean, I know there's still TV, but this yeah. this is kind of where where we're spending most of our time. And um, I, I'm even interested in the bad stuff. You know, it's just like just like on the internet, you know, I not so much anymore, but I would always look at like the drudge report and stuff like that. I just want to know what the Kool-Aid is. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Cause I, I, I've had this conversation with a couple of people where it's like, you know, I kind of need to know what Fox news is saying. Yeah. And you, you get, you, you guys have done a, a song about, um, the Fox. Right. Um, but I, but I also want to know what CNN is, is saying because, I feel like the truth is somewhere between the two. Yeah. Like, I don't feel like I'm getting the, the actual truth from either one of those sources. I kind of have to put those two things together and hope that my formulation is correct. Yes. Yes. That's absolutely right. Um, the truth is a, the truth is a pain, you know, <laughs> finding sure, it and, or, 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 or claiming it. It's really, it's such a mess. So, so I have to ask you mm -hmm. when, when I saw you guys in Nashville for the, for the let go, uh, tour, um, you started talking about the Fox Yeah, and I was sitting right behind the table where the guy goes, shut the F up and play some, not a surf. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Do, you, do, you, do you recall this, 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 Asswipe? Well, not specifically, but I, I recall uh, other. Yeah. I, I, I've I recall a lot of things like that. Yes. Yeah. Let me just put it this way: their table. So he probably had ten beers before 
uh, you guys were done playing Let Go in its duration. Yeah. So so he was definitely inebriated. Yeah. And like this is where I I I got so much mad respect for you because uh, you just kind of looked over at him and said, I had a feeling about you. <laughs> and if you want to, and if you want to talk, I'll talk about any topic afterwards. Just meet me at the merch table. Right. And, and the, most of us in the crowd were like, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so, and I'm sure that that's not the first incident that you've ever had where you're trying to explain yourself and people are like, shut up. We just came here to listen to music. Yeah. And I totally understand that. I I really do. Um, But, but have they listened to your music before? Well, because no, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm sure a lot of, I mean, I'm sure there are people who can have completely diametrically opposed political views to mine and, and still just, dig the music, you know, I'm, there are a lot of people who don't even listen to lyrics, you know, I don't know. So I, right. I understand, but I also actually, not only I want to get through the people and not only am I interested in, in my own totally naive way, because I know it's maybe completely impossible, but I do have a hunger to try and change someone's mind or show them another yeah. angle of something. And I can't help, but want to, it's interesting to me. Um, so I feel compelled to do it like an itch, but also, uh, you know, even for us being a tiny band, I feel like a kind of sense of duty to cast a public vote, you know? Um, and that, I don't know, is, I don't know if that's misguided. I haven't really thought about it very much. Maybe, maybe the idea that I shouldn't has never been strong enough in my mind to consider not doing it. No, don't, no, don't yeah. stop. No, don't stop. All right. I, I keep getting off of these. Tangents. No, that's all right. All right. Uh, the song live, learn and forget. Yeah. So I, I, I have a hard time believing that Matthew cause has any wrongs that have gone too far and that you have to ask for forgiveness from anyone. Well, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm almost in, I don't know. I mean, even, <laughs> even like always love, for example, you know, is such a positive, song and i wrote it because i was in a in a conflict and angry you know um so there's a lot of uh it's not artifice exactly but i'm always trying to reach for something higher when writing or a better self or something but so it's not a true um representation of myself i'm not as good or as nice a person as um lyrics would indicate i want to be though so you know i'll just keep trying but i have definitely uh effed up in my time there you go yeah public persona is uh is is not always uh with the private persona right i and i'm not separating them on purpose but it's just um i never it's like you know i really like goth music (laughs) i and uh but there's, I never want to celebrate darkness, you know, and we're interested in it a lot. I mean, I love Stephen King, you know, uh, yeah, but I don't find darkness particularly romantic. I just find it interesting. Um, right. Anyway, I don't, I don't my tangent was probably just, I was probably just going to say in, in another way, like, I don't mean to, 
put up a false front, but it just so happens that when I'm making music, I'm, I'm usually there to try and reach something better than where I am or better than who I am. Like, like thinking about who I want to be, you know? Hey, nothing wrong with singing about what you want. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good, good. Uh, one last question on the new record. So Matilda, mm. so I'm mm-hmm. guessing those lyrics are derived from experience. Yeah. It's all just straight, um, straight, uh, autobiography auto. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, just my childhood. I was, I was made fun of a lot for being kind of effeminate when I was a kid. Um, said you were pretty. Yeah. Well, I, my hair was like, I had long hair, you know? Um, yeah kind of pretty um <laughs> yeah well i don't know is that a, I, it's a funny thing to say but maybe i mean the point in the song is i'm saying more pretty than handsome you know uh, right it's like i just i look g- girlish and i was teased a bunch for that but i feel very lucky because like i'm glad it happened and i'm especially glad that it happened in a kind of mostly mild way so i feel like I have a window into that version of an outsider, um, but I wasn't particularly traumatized by it. Um, I feel lucky about that. And But masculinity has, it's just been something I've thought about always, my own relationship to it, and then what I see as, uh, I don't know, what I see around me that is supposed to be masculine. Um, and also I've, I've wondered a lot if people see the way non masculine boys are treated and if they, they don't want to be treated that way. So they put on a harder front. Mm -hmm. I just feel like a lot of male aggression is an attempt to deflect any, um, mockery you know i think guys are scared of being of being um made fun of you know it's just yeah if if only when you're in high school you knew what your 50 year old self knew oh boy yeah totally you know where you're just like i don't i don't care (laughs) 
you know? Yeah. 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 Matilda, my mama kept my hair long. I was more pretty than handsome, and I was not very strong. My voice was kind of high, not a typical guy. They used to call me Matilda. I was never sure why. I felt bad about it, but I didn't get mad. I got sad about it, but I was all that I had. So, so explain the lyric because you you say it a couple times on on Matilda. Uh, do you hear it like a drum from back in time? Is there a story of some sort behind that lyric? What's the? Uh... No, I'm just I'm sort of I don't know. It's kind of like a a metaphor for um, I guess I feel like these these gender um, attitudes uh, have been around I guess forever, you know. And so that's what I mean. I can't remember the lyric exactly, but it's something like, "Are you?" do you feel like yourself or do you feel in a certain way that you're being steered by, by your collective past? Like this is what men are supposed to be like. And we're going to, um, kids love, it seems like, I don't want to say all kids, but a lot of kids, um, it's fun to think about gender and it's, it, and also it's, unfortunately it's fun for, boys to try and figure out if other which other boys are gay and kind of pounce on them um and a lot of kids when i was young thought i was gay and i'm not but um so i had a little taste of that experience too and any kind of um name calling is particularly damaging because it's somebody trying to tell you who you are before your sense of identity is very strong. You know, if I think as adults, if someone calls us a name, I just laugh. Pro- exactly. Because you know who you are. Yeah. But when you're young, you don't have that much. And plus you're at school with these people and you have to see them every day, you know? So it's just, right. it's right. bad. Um, I'm sorry. I've, I've, uh, I felt pretty articulate about that song right after I wrote it because I was, thinking about all aspects of it obsessively for a couple of weeks and then, and then doing a lot of interviews about it, but it's, it's a little far from me now, but, um, so you probably have to edit this a bunch, but no, I'm leaving it all in. So, so, uh, originally when I tried to get you on the podcast, I, I said, uh, I, I want Matthew to come on so that we can talk about Bob Dylan's blonde on blonde. Uh-huh. Right. You guys have a song on Let Go from totally yeah. Blonde on Blonde, and you're like, uh, I don't know if I'm a Dylan aficionado. Let's let's do something else. So, well, I am a Dylan aficionado, aficionado, but I'm not a 
uh, I'm not a Dylanologist, and that do you know that there's actually a there's a book that's about books on Dylan? I mean, that's how many books on Dylan there are. Crazy. Yeah. So I just don't feel qualified. I I love that record. It means a lot to me. Well, what would what would be your top song if we were scoring Blonde on Blonde? What would be your top song? Uh, Visions of Johanna. Oh, awesome. All right. That would be yeah. mine as well. Oh, right on. Even though it's the longest song in the record, I'm I'm going with Visions of Joanna. It, How yeah. about you, Wayne? Um, stuck in Mobile with the Memphis Blues again. Fantastic. Like, I, I really like side two. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that's awesome that you've named a side. That's good. I'm going to listen to side two later. Thank you. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good prompt. Yeah. Yeah, we we uh, it's been a while since we've done a Dylan uh, Dylan episode. We did Blood on the Tracks with Johnny Hickman from Cracker, and that was Great. like that was my first big deep dive into Dylan because I've I've seen I've seen Dylan three times and mm-hmm. um, I'm still I still don't consider myself a, a big Dylan fan. I uh-huh. I respect uh-huh. him. Yeah, he is, uh, and he's influenced like everybody that I love. So you've got plenty of time, you know. You've got your. I mean, that's that's what that song is about, actually. Uh, Blonde on Blonde, our song is is just being excited and grateful and comforted by the fact that this record is going to be around for the rest of my life, and yeah. I can always listen to it again. And he's definitely one of those people where those the records really reveal themselves to you. And they're so rich that you really can listen again and again and again and again without it becoming stale at all. There's so much life in it, you know? So yeah, you've got a lot of time to, to listen to more of him. It's going to have to happen after my kinks quest. <laughs> oh man. I know. I spent, I feel like I spent two or three years listening to it was the kinks and Hank Williams. Well, we just we so we just did we just did an episode on um, Arthur by the oh, Kings, so and and uh, because of that, I'm like, you know what? It's finally time for me to go do a deep dive on the Kinks. So oh, yeah. I'm I'm on a quest. I'm going to listen, Wayne. I'm going to listen to a different Kinks record every day until I I listen to the the entire catalog. That's awesome. Be careful because I did the same thing and I was listening to two or three a day. Well, that might There's happen. a lot of kinks out there. A lot. That's right. A lot of records. Good stuff. Might happen. So, All right. One last question before we start talking about the record that you chose. So uh, we ask all of our guests their opinion of Toto's Africa. Is that a good or bad song? Um, I may have heard it too much to really have an opinion. I think it's one of those songs that has become wallpaper to me. Um, I have no, I have no idea what it's about. So I'm very curious. I might, while we're doing this, I might just read the lyrics. Um, I don't think, I'm not particularly I, don't think fond Toto, of it. I don't think Toto knows what it's, what it's about either. So you're okay. It doesn't push any buttons for me. Um, you know, I, I don't want to knock it, but I can't, I can't say I get excited about it. So, so Wayne t- tell, tell Matthew what you always call Toto's Africa and see if he agrees uh, with you. Glossy and soulless. Glossy and soul, soulful. Uh, what were the other words? Soulless. soulless. Oh, glossy and soulless. Those are the only, those are the only words I have for it. I, oh, absolutely. I agree with you 100%. Totally. You just became Wayne's oh, favorite yeah. guest. <laughs> oh, no, man. That's right. Glossy and soulless. Totally. 
All right. It's so going to take Matthew. a lot to drag me away from you. I'm, re- I'm, just, I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> reading the lyrics now. <laughs> Hurry, boy. She's waiting there for you. And who are you to bless the rain? I mean, who's blessing the rain there? I don't know. I don't know. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. So, Matthew, uh, tell, tell our listeners what record you chose to revisit. So, I would like to revisit Ocean Rain, the fourth album by Liverpool's Echo and the Bunnymen. Perfect. Um, so my question for you, since you're just a few years older than Wayne and me, so was your first Echo record this one or Songs to Learn and Sing? Uh, this It was this one. Um, so it came out my senior year of high school, and there was a radio station called WLIRR, uh, that I would get sometimes. I didn't have the best reception, but it was the kind of new wave station that you could kind of get in Manhattan. It was a Long Island station. And Never Stop, uh, the single that came out before um, before Ocean Rain, was big on that station, and I thought it was great. And I saw that Echo and the Bunnymen were going to play the Beacon Theater, uh, which was across town from where I lived, um, sort of a short bus ride away, and a really beautiful uh, two and a half thousand, three thousand seat, uh, red velvet seats, kind of run down, um, theater where I'd already seen a bunch of shows. Um, the first show I saw there was, uh, <laughs> Billy Idol. Um, nothing wrong with that. Nothing yeah, wrong. Nice. Yeah. And, and Prince's guitar player, Des Dickerson opened up. Nice. I saw, oh, um, nice. Simple Minds on the Sparkle in the Rain tour. Okay. And I don't know exactly where the second the Bunnymen show. I don't know if it was like the third or fourth show I saw there, but I went to see them for Ocean Rain. I was maybe in the sixth row, and it was magnificent. Absolutely blew my mind, and I became a super fan instantly. And I bought all their records um, I, the next day, probably. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So yeah, right around then. Yeah, songs to learn and sing. That was my. That was my first foray into echo it's great well i mean that's a great that's a greatest hits that has a that had a new song on it which was bring on the dancing horses which is spectacular that is a great song i was way too economical back in the day i have way too many greatest hits records there are you know they i mean some of them leonard cohen's greatest hits is is great i had uh, simon garfunkel's greatest hits before i had the records and you know some of those are like the best yeah, I just like I was just posting something about my favorite records of 1986, and that was uh, "Standing on the Beach," uh, the first compilation oh, yeah. from The Cure. Oh, it's great! I, I wore yeah. that thing out. Do you guys remember? Maybe you're just a little too young for this, but do you remember Ktel? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, we remember. Yeah. Well, yeah. those records, those records were fantastic, and they were just they they were just mixtapes. Okay. The first original premise of a, this podcast that I pitched to Wayne was we were going to listen to a K-Tail record for every episode. That's great. And talk disc- about each of the yeah. songs on it. So I had the disco. Yeah, I'm glad we didn't end up going with that premise, but yeah. <laughs> there's time. <laughs> yeah, there's still time. We're, we, may, we, we may run out of albums eventually. Um all right, so you you did mention that this is the fourth studio record. Mm-hmm. 
it uh, it did okay over here in the states. So mm-hmm. it reached number eighty seven on the U.S. Billboard two hundred. However, it was uh, definitely a hit over in the U.K. Reached number four, and um, there were a number of singles. We'll talk about each of those. Uh, so, so let me ask you this because this this um, this record definitely has a lot of orchestration to it. Yeah. So when so when you saw them live, did they do any of the orchestration kind of as backing tracks or did they just play the four of them and you just kind of had to fill in the gaps of what the orchestration would have sounded like? Um, I don't know if they had tape going. I'm guessing, and I don't have a specific memory of this, but I'm guessing that a guy called Adam Peters would have been with them. And he was their keyboard player cellist and he um wrote the string arrangements for ocean rain um and i just looked him up about an hour ago uh and on his cv that's kind of like that's the first thing he does a lot of music for for movies and he's been working with oliver stone and i guess he's a he's a kind of big time la uh film scorer but um this was his first thing. The first thing he did was join Echo and the Bunnymen, be their cellist. Um, there's really great footage. If if somebody listening to this is an Echo and the Bunnymen fan, is, is interested. If you look for something on YouTube called um, uh, Echo and the Bunnymen on the Tube, um, that was a British TV show, and they went on it before recording Ocean Rain, and they did three songs before ocean rain, which is really gutsy. You know, I don't think people do that anymore, you know, go on national television and play three songs from a record you haven't made yet. Um, but they did. And Adam Peters is sitting in on cello and it's, it's pretty great. Even just that one instrument can really adds so much. I think because he wrote really, really great parts, all of them individually were super strong and also were very good at, at doing a lot with just a few notes, you know, um, Les Pattinson, the bass player very often, um, plays something very repetitive. It's often very simple. Um, but always really like a clever, really cool baseline. Um, Will Sargent, who's one of my favorite guitar players ever. Right. Um, I need to kind of hold back cause basically I, I love this band in this era so much that, um, I feel like everything I'll say will be like a, uh, hyperbole or a superlative, you know, but I, <laughs> I, I think Will Sargent's incredible. And, and he does so often he'll play just like a little riff, you know, it's like just five or six notes and it, it does so much kind of like sort of analogous to how um, Joey Santiago in the Pixies does so much with so little too, you know, he plays kind of, um he's not all over the place, but, but he's adding, um, you're really printing the songs in a way, you know, you get that one riff that gets stuck in your head. Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. So yeah. So I don't remember that, that he must've been with him. I remember it sounding very, very full. So you already talked about less and will. So less is on the bass. Will is on, on guitar. Ian McCulloch, of course, is the, the <laughs> vocalist. And then for this album, Pete, Pete DeFreitas, am I saying that? Pete right? De, uh, I'm not sure. I, uh, Pete DeFreitas, Freitas, Freitas. So Peter Freitas, um, also in re-listening to Ocean Rain in one sitting, um, I've reaffirmed what I've thought for a long time, which is that he is my favorite drummer. <laughs> he's my he's my number one. 
and I just the other night was explaining this to my wife and I had to like, I was at a loss for words. I was just like, listen to this song, listen to this song. Oh my God. Um, yeah. He, and on this record, he, he does something really special, which is that he plays with brushes um, very hard. You can see, you'll see it in, in this footage or any footage of the time, but this footage I was telling you about called the tube, um, you know, you're not supposed to be able to play very hard with, with brushes because the brush is so, you know, it's, it's thin, thin, uh, metal right right <laughs> wires it's thin wires right and they're very bendy so if you hit it very hard you'll the the thing that's holding the wires is actually the handle is what you're essentially hitting the drum with and that's what he does and it sounds fantastic so he's and what's cool about it is he gets to put all this muscle into his playing without it being too loud uh without it being too um hard or or annoying you know um, and he also, there's, I mean, there are a lot of things I like about him. I'll, I'll say one more and then I'll, I'm sure I'll say more later because, um, yeah. I think about him a lot is that he has a kind of bubbly style in that he plays in a kind of percolating way. You know, he, he really keeps it moving and there's kind of a lot of activity without it sounding fussy. It's not like a, like a Stuart Copeland who's throwing in like, fast complicated riffs it's more just he keeps the rhythm going in a way that kind of reminds me a little bit of mitch mitchell of the Jimi hendrix experience another kind of bubbly drummer and that he you know like he's really busy but it's not like he's not showboating he's just giving you energy and it's also very musical um yeah peter fritas who very sadly uh died in a motorcycle accident not too long after that album. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. So he passed mm. away at the age of 27, mm. 19, 1989, uh, motorcycle accident. Yeah. So, and uh, he also played, he also played in the wild swans. Oh yeah. You know who I don't really know. I guess I've known that. That's yeah. another thing I need to do later. So he's in the 27 club too. I didn't know that. It's so creepy. 27 right? club is not, it's, it's not, awful not a good club to be a part of not no no it's not good no um all right so i i want your opinion of the rolling stone uh review that they made of this mm. <laughs> okay I, i'm only quoting one line because this line probably says everything that you need to know about the review okay they just de- they describe the album as too often a monochromatic dirge of banal existential imagery cloaked around the mere skeleton of a musical idea well there's so much wrong with that <laughs> sentence come on you know just- one man's treasure you know uh, it's that I, I would, I think, I think that review betrays the fact that that reviewer had, was probably familiar with their second and third records because which are heaven different. up here. Yes. Very different. Also wonderful. I, I would personally, my, my favorites are their first album crocodiles and this one ocean rain, um, heaven up here and porcupine, uh, both have really extraordinary songs on them. There are some dirges, some real dirges, mm-hmm. some on purpose dirgy dirges. Uh, and I think this reviewer had maybe already, 
um, made up his mind before putting this on and heard what he wanted to hear. And I would, I would argue there's at least one dirge on this record as well. There's one that I actually wrote the word dirge in my notes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it may be my, and that's not a bad thing. I don't know. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to, we'll get to that. All right. Let's, let's jump in track by track. So, um, as a reminder, our scoring is based on number of songs on the record. Wayne, how many songs on this record? A very tight nine. Which means top song is going to get nine points. Next favorite song, eight on down to lowest score of one point. Let's kick this off. This is Silver. And this was the second single that was released off of the record. Um, it stayed on the UK singles chart uh, for five weeks, uh, only peaked at number 30. Um, the B-side to the 7-inch is Angels and Devils. You guys know that that song? Yes, I, don't, I, I, I don't. can't even think of it right now, but I, I do know it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, so... Who who wants to get started with Silver? I want to say, does anybody else hear ABCs when Smokey sings? I don't know that, that song. I don't know that song. Oh, listen, because it that's all I could think of. It sounds, and one thing is it's a little brighter and shinier than than you associate with Echo and the Bunnymen, but it, it almost feels, and I can't, I couldn't say I looked up to see whether this came first or after, but it, it, it definitely, I hear when Smokey sings by ABC. Smokey sings That's not a bad would thing. have been afterward. That would have been after. Well, then, then Martin Fry has some questions. I got some questions for him. But uh, I like it. And one of the things I I, I know, I mentioned Don, uh, Donnie Darko, which one of, one of the songs on this album is used in. But there's, I wouldn't say that his lyric, the lyrics make no sense. What I would say is that they're, they're really ambiguous, but in a super cool way, like a lot of these songs and this one in particular, or maybe not in particular, but this song along with that is, you know, it's hard to say exactly what he's talking about. Is it, is it a love of another person? There's sometimes there's kind of religious overtones, but always, and I know this is completely the, the rock and roll historian in me, but there always seems like it could be about drugs too. And I sound like my mom when I say that, but uh, when you read the lyrics, like, um, first of all, uh, I had to look up what a salver was because it's the right. only time silver's mentioned. Me so too. I had to, Me too. so, uh, but I think the line about the burning lips, um, and then there's something about hands untied and there's laughed in the face of a brand new day. There's just all these great lines, which I don't know if that he writes a song with a specific meaning. I think he, he, and just from what I read about, uh, another song, that has some really cool lines in it. He, I think he does in a way to that, to that critics, um, to, to agree in a very small way with him. Some of this sounds like a lot of lines 
really cool lines stacked on top of each other that don't that maybe a loose idea of a song is in lyrically, but I wouldn't say that about the music. I, I was just going to say, Wayne, so you're, you're going to say you looked up Salvern, but you're not going to give the definition. Oh, it's a platter. I thought you, I figured you guys knew. Yes. It's yeah. a silver platter, a heavy silver platter. I had to look that up and, it, and the definition said it's used in formal circumstances. So I'm like, obviously I'm not a formal person. I didn't know. No. Yeah, well, and Chandelier is mentioned just before that. This is a very fancy song, but I, I less I like it could be about a woman, or it could be about you know. And there's a lot of lines in here that just make me feel like 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 when you just have wake up one day and you have an epiphany that your life is going to go in a different direction, like that mapped out a place where I plan to stay. Some of the, these are really cool lines, but if you look at them, kind of with a with a you know, a squint, you can see it, it being about a lot of different things, which is in of itself pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. You've, um, Wayne, you've really, uh, uncovered or hit upon something that I think is essential about them. Um, which is that the words very often don't mean very much, but I'm really okay with that. And I've read, um, Ian McCulloch say about lyrics, like, just say something cool and don't say anything stupid. And it's, you know, it's, it's solid advice. And oh yeah, the first, I mean, I can't say that I'm, I don't very often like just try to say something cool. I, I would, if I could, I just, I think if I try to, I'll probably say something stupid, but, but I very often do when I'm looking at a set of lyrics, I, I think of what he said, like, just don't say anything dumb, like take the dumb line out. You know, right. and um, I think that's kind of what he is. He's a little bit of a like a stylist. Um, I don't think the songs have to hang together. They're very evocative, and I think that's that's the point. Is that he's just sort of um, sparking feelings and sparking thoughts in you, uh, th- and that really works for me. Like you know, their records sound like dreams or something. You know, there's just, it's cool impressions of, of, uh, I don't know, experiences I'd want or something I might, I mean, it's not necessarily about drugs, but maybe something you would think of when you were high, but I wasn't high when I was 16 and these songs really, really worked for me. Um, I did read that when he says, just look at you with burning lips, you're living proof at my fingertips. He's talking about his wife, Lorraine, and he's saying, how he was married and happily married and that she was living proof of things being good right there in front of him. That's good. Yeah. He yeah. didn't follow his, his own, uh, his own motto of, of skip the stupid lines. Cause there's, there's one coming up in the next song, which we'll talk about. I'm sure. Um, all right. <laughs> let's, let's get some scores on silver. Uh, Wayne, what you got? Five. And then Matthew, your score. That's an eight. All right. And this is my six. All right. Next song is Nocturnal Me. Take me eternally forever. 
And I'm just curious if either one of you have ever said in the throes of passion, take me internally. <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it actually worked. Did it actually work? It's been said to me, but I've never, I've never said it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there's the, there's the stupid line in my opinion, but yeah, that's go. the one that's, I, I, I can't argue with you. And it's the only one on the record. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wayne, you got anything on nocturnal? Oh, I, you know, this, the strings are this epic and ominous. It creates this great atmosphere because the lyrically it gets a little bit repetitive, which I, I don't have a problem with, but it creates this image of like, like a, like a secret uh, ceremony with hooded cloaks and, and, you know, candles. And it's, it's more of what this, it's not so much what he's saying as, as this really like atmospheric visual, you know, a Stanley Kubrick movie. I mean, even just just like these, like I just imagined these guys in hooded cloaks, you know, in the woods with you know, pyres. Yeah, see, uh, it's working. It's working. These yeah, impressions are yeah, like, he had me on the second song. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Fantastic. I mean, he's su- he's such. I kind of want to like revisit uh, what I said for the last song because. I don't in any way um, mean that saying that I think he's sometimes just singing cool lines to be disparaging because they're super cool and they're really poetic. I think, you know, he's really, when he's good, he's just, just great. Really good. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. And, you know, some poetry, it doesn't have to hang together as like a, as like a, um, a point. I find sometimes the, having a point in a song can be kind of a burden. You know, I very often set out, I'll write something and I'm like, okay, I want to write a song about X and it can keep it kind of, kind of clumsy, you know, cause you're like forcing all your thoughts to, to line up with your mission statement, you know? Right. right. Anyway, I'm rambling. I'm sorry. No, it's all good. It's all yeah. good. We're definitely guilty of that at times as well. Um, Anything else on Nocturnal Me? Should we get some scores? Yeah, amazing string parts. Really good. Great drumming, too. Wayne, what do you got? A three. All right. This is my two. And then Matthew? This is my one. Is it because of the line? No. <laughs> no. And, and I, and I want to say, um, I think this scoring is fun, but it's like, for this record, did I happen to really really love just about all the songs on the scoring. It's kind of like, I just had to, somebody had to be last, you know? Right. It doesn't, doesn't we hear that every episode. It's all good. Yeah, I know. We're just, we're ranking them. We're not rating them. That's, that's what I tell people. Totally. Right. Right. That's good. That's good. Like that. All right. Next song is crystal days. Where are you? Shadows on.
Uh, shortest song on the record at two minutes, 25 seconds. Uh, two things I really dig on this song. That guitar riff is super cool. And Matthew, going back to your point about uh, the drumming, the percussion yeah. stuff that happens about the one minute mark. Oh my mm. gosh. Love it. Yeah. What do you guys have to say about Crystal Days? Oh, I love it. It's um, much like brighter and jangly. Uh, I and I didn't recall hearing it. I've had this CD, or I've I have a digital copy of this CD I got from a friend. Uh, but I once again, I got tra- I was I kept trying to make everything about drugs, but there's no there's nothing I ever read anywhere that any of these guys had drug problems. But Crystal Days just made me do it. Like I had to look at it and see if I could find lyrics that made it, made it fit in there. And there was plenty of them. And uh, I love the building world where we can purify our misfit ways and magnify our crystal days, but it had a real pop sound. I'm surprised that it wasn't a single. All right. Right. You know, it's interesting. There's a, um, there's definitely a through line from the doors to the Bunnymen in oh, a lot yeah. of ways definitely in the in the drama of the music the kind of theatrical aspect where you know you bring it way down and lots of space and then these crescendos um and i wonder if you know crystal because of crystal ship was like a cool word hanging in the air you know yeah the the the, the doors reference of course they did a a very uh fantastic version of people yeah. are strange that's on yeah. the lost boys soundtrack so yeah. yeah, one of my favorite covers. I saw them once. Uh, they did. They did. Um, uh, Soul Kitchen and Ray Manzarek oh, came out nice. and played with him. That was pretty awesome. On a double bill with New Order at the at the pier in New York. Time to go check out YouTube. See if there's any clips of that. So, um, yeah. All right. Anything else on Crystal Days? It's just great. It's another really. It is bright, as you're saying, Wayne. Very much. Yeah. Very, very happy and positive. I mean, who doesn't want to purify their misfit ways and magnify your crystal? Day? That sounds like crystal days being just, just perfect ones, you know. Going back to the silver salver and the chandeliers, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Exactly. All right, uh, Matthew, what's your score on this? That's a, that's a, that's a two. Okay, and then Wayne, and I love it. <laughs> I get, I seven. I really, I really like this song. Okay. And this is my four. And next song is The Yo-Yo Man. As the wind blows through my Collecting the bones of my friends tonight Sowing the seeds in a fruitless land You know when prayers all hit the ground There is no heart And what's what's the instrument that's being used to create that that wind like sound? Yeah, I oh. couldn't find any. You know what I'm talking about? I, I didn't see any. Am I allowed to play the song for a second, or will that ruin everything? No, no go for it. So fast. I I will say this: this 
I this was a total sea shanty. I could just see pirates on the Barbary coast singing this on their way to under another ship. Right. And I and I love sea shanties. I'm a huge pirates fan. Uh, wow, that's like a that's like a just a fancy keyboard. That sounds is like that, a, is that all it is? Just a fancy meeting. I think so. Okay. I I kind of figured that noise was going to make this Wayne's lowest score because he. He gets those those particular sounds stuck in his brain, like a really bad tambourine, or mm-hmm. what's oh, what, what, mm-hmm. what are what are what are some of the other sounds that uh, Wayne you've uh, oh there, given lower scores because of uh, the tambourine when it's done yeah has gotten a lot of I've 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 mentioned it a lot and when it's good it's really good and when it's bad it's 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 horrible but yeah there's lots of instruments that have we've had stuff that sound like a kazoo um there's yes. been lots of percussion instruments typically what i call them uh elementary school the, the elementary school percussion basket mm-hmm. gets pulled out uh but this one has some great lines in it like there's a, that line about uh oh i'm gonna make sure i find it it says uh so take me to the end of your tether i just thought that was great like i mean like the the like a leash, like you have me under your under your power, and whether once again I I can say I read this the lyrics and he could be talking about love or or I wouldn't say love I guess a bad relationship or or a substance, but that idea that you know you're on a leash you're under this other thing's control, but that's but you could say it in a lot of different ways. Tether is just a that's a very interesting word that doesn't get mm-hmm. used enough. Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, my note for that lyric was, what in the world does this mean? <laughs> and I, who cares? I don't care. Uh, well, so being at the end of your tether is a, that's a negative. As far as you can go, yeah. Right. At the end of your rope. So take me to the end of your rope. Right, it could be take me there so I can be where you are, you know, and help you. I don't know. Or That's interesting. I, I did read about this too, that... that Ian said that this was a perfect description of himself, the yo-yo man, which sounds like somebody who's, um, you know, I don't know if it means mood swings or if you're just either really happy or, or dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I took it as, yeah, I, I saw it in more of yeah. a mood swing type way. Um, Cause there's I mean, yeah. that line about cold is the wind that blows through my headstone. Like it has, it has some pretty, it has some dark imagery, but not overtly dark. I wouldn't say. Right. Yeah. They have a nice, t- they have a pretty warm take on the dark, the bunny men, even their dirges are kind of, you know, <laughs> they're pretty, <laughs> they're sea shanties. Pretty great. Yeah. All right. This is my three Wayne, your score. Two. And then Matthew. This is my four. All right. And next song is Thorn of Crowns. Kick it, 
Not to be confused with the Mother Love Bone song called Crown of Thorns. Right, right. Um, was was Ian trying to be like the male version of Kate Bush on this song? But I also heard like some Robert Smith type of I got total this is this is where the cover of People Are Strange and a connection to the doors came in most. Like this had like it was almost, you know, Jim Morrison slam poetry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, there's that that really violent guitar and then the shrieking. It's kind of all it's it just had a this one is the one that reminded me of of stuff off. Yeah, the totally. I agree. Um, I agree completely. Yeah, exactly like what I was saying before the drama of it. Um and also his his kind of um yeah, the shrieking and the yelling. It's it's super doorsy. And that guitar is it feels like a really Velvet Underground approach, which yeah, I, violent was the word that I used to describe it. It's just it's so it's jarring a little yeah. bit, and uh, but the, all the references, the the shout outs to the vegetables is what just completely weird. I just was, was like, <laughs> this is so Jim Morrison because just like uh, what is it, the end that goes on for uh-huh. twelve minutes or whatever. I know this is only five minutes, but it didn't. It didn't feel I, I it didn't I did I wouldn't say that I didn't like it. I just liked it the least yeah. of anything. But because I, I feel like it 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 just was it was so out there. The vegetable thing just killed me. I can't believe it. The cucumbers and the cauliflowers and the cabbage, yeah. Cabbage, yeah. Isn't it great how it goes from this kind of absurd part? You know, that's silly. I mean, it's it's fun, but definitely absurd, right? Cucumber, cabbage, cauliflower, men on Mars, which, by the way, I always thought it was memoirs, but I've, I've learned. Men on Mars, April showers. But after that, it goes into that musically really gorgeous part. You know, that's like a really mm-hmm. elevated, beautiful hook. That's almost like something off Marquee Moon. Not just that television record, but Marky Moon, the song, there's a part that's a little bit like that, that really um, elevates the song, like like goes up into a really beautiful theme that like lifts it, you know, and how great for that to be after this completely absurd verse, you know, it's really, really great. I mean, this is like at their weird best. I love it. Yeah. Spoiler alert, we're doing a Marky Moon episode in a couple of weeks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm super excited for that one. Yeah. Doing it with Steve Wynn. Oh, fantastic. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So my my notes on this is since I had this on cassette back in the day, this was a song that I totally fast forwarded so that I could get to side two. Cause, you know, side two is just I'm phenomenal. Um, so my other notes are so I gave this this song a fair shake the last couple of weeks, and what do you know? I still hate this song and I skipped it to the next song. So there you go. This is my least favorite song. I There's only one song on this record I don't like, and this is it. And maybe it's because I never got into The Doors. I just never really liked Jim Morrison. Mm-hmm. It didn't, didn't do much for me. So this song doesn't do much for me. All right. So I told you my, this is my low score. Matthew, what's your score? It's a three. It could have been a four. I think Yo-Yo Man and Thorn of Crowns, I feel roughly the same about. Um, you know, okay. check check out the check out that YouTube thing I was telling you about. I think you might you might enjoy 
like change my mind. How different this one feels. I don't know, but it's it's it might soften you up a little. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Wayne, your score. It was it's uh, number one. It was my least favorite, um, but I wouldn't have. I listened to it each time, and I wouldn't classify it okay. as hating it. Well, you didn't. You. you didn't fast forward it like I did. Okay. All right. Uh, so this would be where we would flip the record over and. Oh my gosh, what a great side opener. Um, Here's Killing Moon. This was lead single off the record, released in January of 1984, reached number nine on the UK singles chart. I didn't see any info on the US chart, so that would probably mean it didn't get any any love over here, other than those, you know, alternative stations or the new wave stations that uh, Matthew you you talked about. Yeah. Um. So, how great is this song? Oh yeah, we have, number one. Um, this is the opening sequence of Don and the opening sequence of Donnie Darko, which is the best thing about that movie. Um, and I found out, and I read that the basis for the musically is the chords to Space Oddity mm-hmm. played in reverse. Mm-hmm. If you're doing anything to to copy Bowie. I'm I'm all over that. But it creates this lush, dark, ethereal, almost hypnotizing sound because lyrically it's built around. One of the coolest lines ever, fate up against your will, which I guess he had, it came to him in a dream or something and he wrote it down. But the idea of destiny versus your own desire and will is one of the absolute coolest things. And the fact that he meant he referenced, he does it seven times is not even enough. Right. I, I, it's it's brilliant. Yeah. You, I love that. Yeah. You want to hear. Okay. So I wrote this down because I thought it was poignant. Uh, McCulloch said, I love the song all the more because I didn't pour over it for days on end. One morning I just sat bolt upright in bed with the line in my head, fate up against your will through the thick and thin. He will wait until you give yourself to him. You don't dream things like that and remember them. That's why I've always half credited the lyric to God. It's never happened before or since. Mm. Love it. Yeah, that's so great. It's true, right? That, Dreams are so much more about impressions, but to have, I mean, I don't know. I'm just speaking for myself, but, but yeah, to have like four clear lines show up like that. That's pretty amazing. You ever, you ever sat bolt upright in your bed with a line that you're like, Oh my gosh, this has to go in. <clears throat> no, I mean, I wish I did. I, I sometimes hooks, but I've very rarely been able to have them live until I get to a, 
tape recorder or a pen or a guitar or something, you know, like right, they're so, right. they evaporate so quickly. Um, little things. I've gotten some little ones, but, but yeah, he's right. <laughs> that's pretty, I'm not surprised that it only happened once, but that's what, a, what a great one. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's an absolutely extraordinary song. It's, it's miraculous. Um, and of course there's a ton of covers of this song that are out there. Um, pavements done a cover, uh, Matthew sweet Novell. I don't, I don't know. Is it vague? Um, they cover a bunch of songs from the new wave era. They're like a Brazilian band. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also found a cover where Ian, Ian joins the band. Aha to cover mm. it. So go, go check that out. That's on Spotify. I did find it on Spotify. So very cool stuff. That was pretty recent too, wasn't it? Like Uh, 2017. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of years ago. That's, it's really cool. Um, all right. Anything else on killing moon? Um, if I had to guess what it was about, it feels like a love triangle or at least some sort of betrayal. The lines about, uh, so cruelly we kissed. Um, there's also, I think stuff in the first verse that makes it sound like, Mm -hmm betrayal yeah i have no conception of what the verses are about they just i love the your lips a magic world your sky all hung with jewels is just a really great it's like a big line right because it's got a high ceiling because i really feel like i can see stars when i hear the words you know um which i guess is again i'm gonna repeating myself but that's one of my favorite things about them is this this kind of large scale dream feeling. Um, yeah. I, I looked at some, I was looking up at some reviews of the time and like, even though the, the language seems so like almost too much, I think it's true. Like walking a tight rope between melodrama and majesty, both sinister and alluring. Um, hmm. I think it's kind of, I kind of buy that. All right. Yeah. All right. Uh, Matthew, your score. That's a nine. And then Wayne. Eight. And then this is my nine. All right. Next song is Seven Seas. A longing for some fresher feeling. Belonging more. Just forever kneeling. Where's the sense in stealing? Without the grace to be it. single um third single and it reached number 16 on the uk charts uh again i don't see any u.s position so that probably says didn't didn't chart over here um the all music journalist dave thompson said this he said regardless of the surreal lyrics their enigmatic meaning dovetails marvelously with the mood of this exquisite piece and yeah this is a exquisite piece as well another one of the echo and the bunny men um legacy songs right yeah yeah it's incredible is this the song where ian does the 
he kind of does the Jim Morrison thing on this again, the k- 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 at some point. Is it this? That's one? Kingdom, I think. That's, That's kingdom. my Kingdom. Okay. Um. Yeah, and I, I want to say in passing uh, that the production on this record is is really special, and Gil Norton, the producer, it's it's very impressive that he made. Um, you know, he did Doolittle for the Pixies and he did the color and the shape for the Foo Fighters. Mm. Um, and including this record, those three, that's a pretty incredible spread of attitudes, you know, like Foo Fighters to produce them. You'd really, you know, it's like handling a, a bull or something, you know, there's so so much guitar power and drum power and and but here on ocean rain um it's produced so delicately and i love how uh there's always something in the foreground and really something in the background so there's a lot of depth to it that's something that really is surprising about some 60s productions and um wayne when you were or ben maybe you're saying about wayne that sometimes uh, tambourines can drive you crazy have you ever noticed how there are some sixties productions where all of a sudden, like a song that you've heard a bunch of times, you notice that there's a tambourine on it. That's like right in your face. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> that's like the loudest thing in the song. And once you hear it, you're like, how, A, how did I never hear that before? <laughs> B, what is it doing in front of everything else? But that's the weird, that's the thing is it's those, because some of those productions were so uh, deep in, in the sense that some things are really loud and other things are quiet. And then that there's a foreground and a back background Um, that, yeah, you can sneak something by right in, right in front of you, you know Um, I'm kind of rambling, but I just wanted to, wanted to say, I think the production is pretty spectacular on this record. Yeah. We haven't even brought up Gil, Gil Norton's name at all on this. So yeah, his, uh, his production work is kind of all over the map. I mean, you brought up the Pixies and the Foo Fighters, but he's, you know, he did, he did some stuff with Case Choice. He Mm -hmm. did, he did, he did a Patty Smith record. Um, and he did a dashboard confessional record. Right. Right. Again, there, that just tells you the wide expanse of, of people that he's worked with. Um, so obviously he's getting the most out of those, those people because uh, like I'm, I'm looking at some of the records. So the dashboard confessional, that one's a mark emission, a brand of scar, which I think that's probably their definitive. Yeah. That's their, yeah, that's their biggest. Record. And Jimmy eight world. He did futures. Right. Oh, that's right. So I think he did. Um, All right. I think he did the, the Ed Harcourt debut here be monsters. I'm going to look that up and make sure. Yeah, he did. Or one of the producers on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. I mean, and this, it's not dated in any way, you know, it's just correct production. You know, you don't hear anything cheesy about it. It's just, it's not too hi-fi. It's not too bright. It's not too fat. It's just right. Like a movie. It's perfect. Yeah. Cause I, 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 uh, I, I have a lot of older vinyl and, you know, I, I love my eighties music and sometimes when I'm listening to some of my eighties records, 
I'm like, oh man, that sounds so dated. Like right. that's so 1984. I'm listening to this record and I don't say that. Like I don't, I don't feel like this is, even though it's a snapshot of that time period, it doesn't feel like it's an 80s record. I don't know if that even makes any sense. Yeah, no, it does. And if you go back again to that single Never Stop, which is a really great single, but that came out before this record, um, it's it's fantastic, but it does have this this sheen. Um, yeah. That, you know, that maybe doesn't support as much repeated listening, you know, because anything, anything really particular in our production can sometimes um you know obscured or become a little wearing um i think bring on the dance dancing horses kind of rides that line a little bit it's definitely a fancier more modern production um it does that it's not too much but but yeah it's just impressive how really classic this is you know i don't know i mean i don't like you know like a sinatra record or something you know just or like a jazz record, it just sounds like the music. Huh. Seven C's scores. Wayne, this is my favorite song. Um, musically, I love the combination of electric and acoustic guitars. Um, yeah, and I love I love that. I, I'm going to assume it's a synthesizer that almost has a sounds like bells as it goes into the chorus. Um, and then I, and all of this, you know, there's a, this is another one with all these great you know, images. And one thing I had to look up was simple. I had to find out if there was anything to do, why the tortoise, uh, why he was kissing the tortoise shell. And, uh, I came up, so I just looked up the tortoise as symbol as, as a symbol. And, uh, one of them is it's believed to, to bear the burden of the, of the world on itself, Mm -hmm. which I thought was cool. And also there's, there's, it can defend, it's about, it can defend itself Mm. by its, Anyway, I think that does tie into it, but because there definitely has this relationship. There's some lines I think that they're in the bridge about the um, where it gets you know smashing mirrors and the uh, turning to see if you're cowardly, like you know, like trying to get some control back by by just being you know just violently breaking things and yelling and trying to get some control in this relationship that you don't mm-hmm. normally feel like you have, um, but ultimately. Uh, and this had this is the one where I noticed the bass on. There's this very prominent bass riff that's almost by itself at parts um, in the beginning, um, and I just loved it musically. I can say I don't. Once again, I, as what he's saying, I'm not exactly sure. I kind of I'm going to make up some stuff of myself, but the way it sounded was uh, I just love this song. Yeah, how about that bass line? It, isn't it great? Very good. Yeah, it's very a really good, good one. Yeah. Matthew, you score. Um, that is a seven. And I also give it a seven. And I'm just noticing that I gave it a seven. I had, there was no malice involved where I was trying to give it a seven because that's the name of this song. So (laughs) me too. Neither. Uh, Yeah. All right. Uh, my kingdom is next. Look, look. 
I really dig this. Song. Yeah. This is, yeah. This, this again, I, I, I wrote, I'm not sure what, what this is talking about, but um, I like it anyways. And I, I read that it's about uh, an argument, you know, um, when you're arguing with somebody you love and there's a lot of uh, words that are used to like create that, that frustration and, and energy. Um, I don't know that it's true. I read it on the internet, but I like, I think of, I would, this is the one I wished I had another seven or eight to, to give this song. Cause I, I really, I really like it. I think it does have sonically has a lot in common with seven C's, but uh, I just, I only had a six left. It's the highest right. thing I had left for it. It's all good. <laughs> I know I wanted a bunch of eights. Matthew, what do you got on my, I need like a whole bunch of eights. Um, it's a six, but it's been in my head all day. Um, it's one of the songs I don't think of as often on this record, but I've heard it a million times. I mean, I listened to this record so much when I was 16, 17, 18, um, that they all feel like part of me. And yeah, the, the music of the chorus, just the, the melody of the chorus is so great. And the, yeah, I don't really know what he's talking about either. It's dramatic. If my heart is a war, its soldiers are bleeding. If my heart is a war, its soldiers are dead. And, but there's also all that do do do, which does sound like a, yeah. a cure song. Um, yeah, well, there's, there's there's a lot of happiness, kind of uh, yeah, in the you know the melody. It sounds much nicer than we, and some. I mean, these words like kill and malignant, and I mean, just the line. There's blood on my hands. I want you to listen. That's I think that's where some of the the. I give some credence to the internet person who, who said it was about an, an argument because there's a lot of lines in here like that. You kill when you talk and the enemy weakens, you know, you're, you know, you turn this argument into a, a war that you're trying to win. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and, and in a way, I don't think I was ever, because the music is so joyous, I, I was never looking or, or clued into negativity in it. And I see that those back vocals at the end, you're a bitter malignous person and your death is well overdue. You're sucking bitter pain. I can hear that melody, but I never really listened to those words. It just sounded like cool backing vocals. You know, I never, I didn't zero in on it particularly, Yeah. but the hooks, you know, it's just such a, it's such a yeah. great hook and there's so many, it's such a singable record for me. It, it's, it's um, this record in particular and the first album, are in the kind of Smith's school where I know all the words and don't always know what they're about, but I don't care because it's so catchy that they just got burned in and, and I can just sing along to the whole thing 20 years later, 30 years later. Um, Yeah. It's really, really holds up here. I'm trying to hold this hyperbole back, man. Yeah, uh, exactly. (laughs) And, and I love the guitar work in this. this Oh yeah. It it's so hooky and catchy. It's great. I love it. Yeah, and he uh, comes out with a really kind of Neil Young solo out of a really orchestral part. Yeah, you know, like there's all this there's all this fanciness, and then he just blows in with one or two notes, all wangly. It's such a cool contrast. Yep. This is my eight. 
and I think you guys already gave your scores. Give it one more time. Wayne, your score? Uh, begrudgingly a six. Okay. And then Matthew? A begrudgingly a six. There you go. All right. Let's wrap this up. Last song, title track, Ocean Rain. Now your hurricane brought down this ocean rain to be My ships are safe Can you hear its tender frame Screaming from beneath the wave Screaming from beneath the wave All hands on deck at dawn Sailing to Saturday My heavy stones harbors the blackest thoughts. And I'm just now realizing I don't have any notes on this song. Um, Wayne, what do you got on Ocean Rain? This is the one where the word dirge came up, almost dirge-like. It's very haunting. It definitely deserves a higher score. And it paints this real picture of loneliness. I mean, how lonely would you know a tiny boat on the you know on the on the vastness of the ocean um i think it definitely is a kind of song that you can you can title an album after yeah yeah um i wrote down an excerpt of of a review that i read of this it's from a from a magazine i guess that was called the liverpool hoopla And the review of this song is the slow, awesome sound of a thousand chandeliers tinkling in the breeze. (laughs) It's just so, it's so great. And um, yeah, mystically hushed opening says Melody Maker. Um, I feel like also it's like it, it fits into the British romance of uh, exploring, you know, like, the Antarctic explorers were a big deal here. Um, right before world war one, uh, Britain was sort of coming down from its colonial. Some would say glory. Some would say shame. Um, and was looking for some kind of greatness and, and was really hoping that, uh, captain Scott, uh, was going to get to the Antarctic first and the guy, I can't remember his first name, but Amundsen, uh, the Norwegian explorer, got there first. And Captain Scott and his men died on the way back. Uh, but they died on the way back like a few miles from, from the supplies they were trying to get to. But their diaries were discovered in their tents and they were still trying to, you know, like we, England will know that we, we know how to strive or we know how to suffer or something I'm paraphrasing, but there's this kind of, um, there's a lot of romance invested in, in, in these kinds of epic journeys. And I feel like the, the atmosphere of this song really fits in with that. Um, so you can see how maybe that's where Ian kind of got that desire to write about the sea so much. There are a lot of, you know, seven seas. 
Um, we have a song called Paper Boats, and I, I very often, it, for years now, at the end of the song, I sing the opening of this song. Um, just because cool, cool. the chords are similar, and just because it's really fun to sing. I think this is the cover band I'd want to be in if I was in a cover band. Because <laughs> uh, it's just so, the words are, everything feels really good. Yeah. No, I, lo- I love this song. Yeah, and I I feel like the 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 mood of the orchestration totally fits in with the lyrics because you know there are images of heavy storms and the ocean rain and the screaming from beneath your waves and I the orchestration just kind of fits into all those lyrics totally yeah perfect yeah. perfect meld of lyrics with uh with the the musicality of it so yeah it's great it's great um and a good good uh good album closer too as well oh yeah definitely what a way to yeah. go yeah all right Amazing. let's uh let's wrap this up so this is my five wayne a four and then matthew this is my five also okay and this is where I would say, did we cover everything? Did we miss anything? Can I share a couple of quick things? Absolutely. One is that um, I was so into them that I really wanted this particular guitar that Will Sargent had a a, a red teardrop Vox 12-string, semi-acoustic. Um, and... I would always look in the back of the village voice to see if I could find one. And, um, I was working at a record store called, uh, record runner. It was then called subterranean. Um, and I worked in there alone. And one day I found it's, it said, uh, Vox red teardrop 12 string. Um, and so I closed the shop for 15 minutes and ran out to this person's house. And it turned out to be Richard Barone. And he sold me this Vox 12 string. And I am still heartbroken that two years later I sold it because I thought I was broke. Um, I was having a money panic and I thought I had three or four guitars and I thought this is, you know, this is wrong. It's indulgent. I need to be more careful. Um, I'm going to run out of money. And so I sold it. Um, I'd had it signed by, by Robin Hitchcock. By way of nothing, oh, just somebody else I'm no. a super fan of, and I and I like I stood in you know at a at a signing and walked up with his guitar and he signed the front of it, maybe at Tower Records, um, probably for the release of a, like a Egyptians album, Figmania or something. I'm yeah, guessing. Yeah. So I sold it. Two years after that, um, I was actually broke, like I'd gotten to the rice and beans stage, you know, and then the the real regret set in because I realized I, d- I didn't, I shouldn't have sold that guitar and, and I've regretted it ever since. And I have never found another one. If someone out there is listening to this, <laughs> because they're not going to Man fan. And if you happen to own a Vox teardrop 12 red, um, 12 string that is signed by Raymond Hitchcock, uh, please get in touch and I will try and make it worth your while to, repair that mistake and the other thing i want to say is i just want to in case he's listening i just want to give a a shout out to my dear friend uh, joe habica um joe is a very old friend of mine who put out the very first not a surf record and he and i are um 
brothers in bunny men fandom. He was the other person that I knew who loved them as much as I did. And we, um, we went to see Ian McCulloch together at CBGB's for a solo show. I think that record was called Mysterio. Oh yeah. I hope I'm getting that right. And, and Ian played two shows. And the thing was that the first show, uh, I hope I'm getting this in the right order, but one of the shows felt very alcoholy, and the other show felt very powdery. Okay. Um, and the powdery show was incredible. It was so great. And the alcoholy show was kind of brutal. Hmm. It was, it was kind of loud. It was kind of yelly. It was kind of unhappy. Um, I can't believe I can't remember what order they came in. I think it was alcoholy first and then a pickup. Um, so I just wrote those two things down because I want to talk about that guitar and talk about my friend Joe. Um, but aside from that, this has been super fun. It's really, uh, it's really great to revisit something you love with the intent of figuring out what you think about it. Absolutely. All right. So this is where we would come up with our top five, uh, luckily, since there's only nine songs on this, uh, we're not we're not excluding too many songs from our top five. So uh, there's probably no need for guesses on what our top song is. Ah, the Killing Moon. Oh yeah, that's uh, eight point six six average score out of nine. Uh, number two is Seven Seas with seven point six six. My Kingdom is third. And silver is fourth. And then rounding out the top five is ocean rain, uh, just barely over crystal days. So nice. So good. That's a solid five. And you get, you get, you get the entire side two in your top five. So, right. So I've got no problems whatsoever. All right. Um, Matthew, this has been a blast. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. Well, thank you guys. I've really enjoyed it. It's been awesome. So, uh, so um, tell people where they can find all the happenings of Matthew and Not a Surf. Oh, I guess, I guess, just notasurf.com, But I think following me on Twitter is probably the most efficient way to keep track. I think uh, Instagram as well. Um, and I don't even know what my handles are. They're just obvious. They're either Not a Surf or Matthew Cos. Uh, one of the two. There you go. I should know that. Right. <laughs> That's pretty pathetic. Uh, but yeah, any happenings will be up there. Perfect. Uh, last question. I lift this question. This is what started all of this wonderful guest stuff that we've got. So Ira was our second guest ever. And this comes from a fellow podcaster here in Orlando. So he gives the question of who do you know that I don't know who would want to join us on this podcast to revisit one of their favorite records. So I, I credit Ira because as soon as Ira hooked us up with Doug Gillard, uh, the rest has kind of been history with the referrals. Mm. So we have, uh, been super, super, um, what's, what's the word Wayne? Um, blessed blessed is a great, great word for it of all these referrals and just, um, super 
appreciative of all the guests that, that we've had. And it all comes from this particular question of who do you know that I don't know that uh, would want to come and revisit one of their favorite records? Well, I don't know if you don't know him, but I'm thinking of two people. Uh, one is Michael Lerner, um, who goes by telekinesis. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's a, a one-man band. Um, and he's just – we have a long-running um, side project that we'll get out one day, but he's just an awesome guy and a great a great music fan and really loves the record he loves, which is, I think, maybe maybe the essential element. <laughs> you need people that really love those records. Um, and the other one is Aaron Lee Tazjan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, who – toured with us a little bit on our tours for this record. Um, amazing, amazing musician, amazing songwriter, makes amazing records. And I bet would be really fun to talk to about the stuff that he All loves right. to. So, so text, text yeah. Aaron because uh, we had his, one of his old roommates, John Gallagher Jr. on an episode a few weeks ago. And so, so John's working on Aaron Lee with us on our behalf as well. So, double dose. Text him and let him know that we we okay. want him on the podcast. So, okay, I will. I will. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, as a reminder, you can find all of our old episodes. Go to recordsrevisitedpodcast.com. dot uh, com. You can find all of our happenings on our Facebook page, uh, Twitter handle at Podcast Records. Wayne Man's the Instagram page. Uh, just look for Records Revisited Podcast. Uh, he's got his 1986 picks up on the Instagram right now, so you can go check that out. And, of course, you can find us, uh, all of our old episodes on all of the major podcast platforms. Uh, you you know where all those are. So thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. Go to a live show. Um, well, you know the drill on that. So go check out your favorite musicians who are doing the the YouTube lives, the Facebook lives, the Instagram lives. Uh, go check them out. Definitely in this time, go buy a T-shirt of the band. Go buy a record. Um, and you can go buy a record um, that just came out a couple months ago from Not A Surf. So we are Records Revisited, and we are out. out. <laughs>